You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Shane Harris. I'm a senior intelligence and national security reporter here at The Post. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by three of the people behind Showtime's new spy drama airing May, May 19th, Ghosts of Beirut. I'm here with the co-creators of the show, Greg Barker and Avi Isaharoff, as well as one of the lead actresses from the series, Dina Shahabi. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Hi. Hi. It's great to see you, and congratulations on the series, which I've been watching and really enjoying. Um, Greg, I want to start with you. Um, this show centers on, I guess, the ghost of Beirut, a man who many people probably are going to be unfamiliar with, uh, Imad Mugnia. Tell us a bit about this individual who notably was responsible for the deaths of more Americans in terrorist attacks than anyone before 9-11. Who is he and why is he important? Well, he's one of the most fascinating characters I've ever come across. I mean, he is, he was, he was a man who from age 19, 21, outwitted the CIA, Mossad, um, and rose to incredible prominence in the Middle East as a key player in, in the region from nowhere. And he drove the, uh, the agency in Mossad sort of kind of crazy uh, because they, they couldn't find him. They didn't even know what he looked like. And the, his story plays out over, over two and a half decades. And my view is he actually shaped the, um, the modern CIA as we, as we know it from what happened in the, in the 1980s, which then resonates in the mid 2000s. So he was complicated. He was a guy from a poor, you know, regular family, poor neighborhood. Started working as a uh, um, as a bodyguard to Yasser Arafat in Beirut in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. Kind of when the PLO left Beirut, he sort of found, I think, sort of found an opening. Uh, was also recruited by Iranian intelligence and kind of stepped into a void and used that and exploited that to his. To his own ends, and uh, and became, I think, sort of more powerful and more influential at an extremely young age than he ever imagined. Yeah, and it's a really, it's it's a very detailed portrait of how he he rises into this, you know, position where he is really present for just an, an enormous amount of attacks that people remember from history, even if they've forgotten some of the details. Um, Avi Safarov, let me ask you. What was it about uh, Imad's story that drew you to it, and why you wanted to tell it uh, visually this way? Well, um, for me, I was uh, kind of a long-time reporter, journalist, analyst for Middle East issues, working for Aretz newspaper back in 2006, when the Israeli-Lebanese war, um, the second war in Lebanon started. And I covered the war as a journalist, of course. And later on, I published a book that was called 34 Days, together with Amos Sahel. And I researched Hezbollah in Lebanon, and through the research, you know, I got familiar more with a very prominent figure inside Hezbollah, who was the head of the military wing inside Hezbollah, Imad Mughnia. Later on, I wrote my thesis uh, in my master's degree in Middle Eastern studies about Hezbollah and Iranian connection. And over there, again, the name of Imad Mughnia was mentioned over and over again, wherever I looked, wherever I research, Imad Mughnia was this kind of a figure. So it became for me kind of almost an obsession, a white whale or whatever you want to call it. And when I understood the, the personal story behind his life, his wife, his kid, the brother, the brother-in-law, um, everything that happened with him and the CIA and the Mossad, 
So you understand that you're dealing with a real dramatic story. It's not only about a terrorist that is operating in the, in the Middle East, but this is someone way, way bigger than what you would expect from someone like that. So young, so ambitious, and still someone who managed to change the face of the Middle East and the terror as we know it, the world of terror as we know it today. Adina Shahabi, now you play a CIA officer named Lena in the series who essentially is a targeter. She's someone who is trying to find Imad Mumia and is really kind of a second generation of CIA officers who've been looking for him. So talk a little bit about how you prepared for that role and, and did, what did you know, if anything, about Mugnia and his story before you came to the series? Not much. Um, I had met Avi a couple of years ago and he mentioned this story to me and I, you know, kind of dug in a little bit, but up until I got the scripts, um, it wasn't a story I was that familiar with and I was quite taken by his impact and also by his human story of you know his downfall is really him falling in love and i found that so moving because it's so easy to look at these stories in a vacuum and to see someone as a monster but when you actually go back to the history you see what was happening in happening in beirut at the time and the middle east there really is a cause and effect of why um someone like him makes the choices that he does and becomes who he is and you know there's always a hero and a villain depending on which side of the story you're on and i think he was a hero to many and to himself and the cia was the villain and vice versa and so i just found that the story itself was actually quite fascinating like greg said an incredibly fascinating person and um i when i got the part when i was offered the part i told greg i wanted to be connected with as many people as possible and he really rose to the occasion and sent me every book and every contact. And there were two women in particular that had an immense impact on me. Hanin Radar, who's a journalist, a Shia Lebanese journalist who lives in Washington, DC. Um, and then a woman who's an ex-CIA targeter. And I just spoke to them at lengths and asked them, you know, uncomfortable, intimate questions that they were very, generous with and Henin in particular had an effect on me because of her anger. I think people forget when you're looking at it from a Western perspective that Arabs get affected by someone like Imad Mughnia as much as the West does, maybe even more. And her anger towards what's happened in Lebanon and her um, how important that was for Lena to channel that anger. Um, really stayed with me for the project. Was there anything you learned from the former CIA officer that really stuck with you as you were trying to think about how to play Lena and this uh, and how to take on the role? Yeah, I, um, you know, when I first got the scripts, Lena had a, Lena and it stayed with her, had a lot of, like I said, anger, passion. She really follows her instincts. She stood up for herself a lot. And one thing that the CIA targeter told me is, there's only so far you can go until you get taken off a project. If you're too obsessed, too passionate, um, pushing back too much, you'll get fired or you'll get taken off of that particular mission and put somewhere else. And so Greg and I met when I first got to Morocco and really found the middle ground of that, found the place where she had the personality she had, had that 
fuel that fire, but was smart, good at her job, knew what her boundaries were. Um, and I just, I think that her coming across as someone good at her job was very important to me and important to, as a promise to this woman. Greg, for those who are, you know, maybe too young to remember really some of the, just the awful attacks that occurred in the Middle East in the 80s that Imad Mumia was behind, give, give us kind of a rundown of some of the more notorious events that, that he uh, played a role in. It's extraordinary. In fact, you, if you glean through history, books of that era, it's like his work is throughout, even though at the time it wasn't widely known. So there's an initial suicide bombing on an Israeli based entire, soon followed by an attack, a massive attack on the United States Embassy in 1983 um, in Beirut, which um, killed uh, I mean, um, hundreds of people and wiped out the entire CIA stations at the time, including, uh, well, I won't give away, but one of the very, very prominent CIA officer who was on the cusp of what he hoped was a Middle East peace plan, a regional peace plan. Um, TWA bombing, attack on the uh, TWA hijackings, attack on the uh, um, uh, Marine barracks, hostage taking. Uh, you think about Beirut hostage crisis mid 80s was all Mugnia, including the kidnapping of the CIA station chief, um, uh, William Buckley, which is portrayed in episode two, which 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 really sort of brought the agency to its knees. Um, and uh, and the list goes on and on. Argentina, um, uh, more recent attacks in Hungary on Jewish, uh, just bust, right? And 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 then he was a military strategist, so he was the, the architect of Hezbollah's military strategy: hundred thousand um, uh, uh, small uh, missiles. That was on the behind the scenes. There was no there was no image of him, no photograph of him for decades. All the agency and Mossad had were was uh, his his passport photo from when he was probably 15 years old because we know he went to iran with arafat sort of as a young guy so and that was it and that's part of our story is how do they even not even know where he is but what's he look like and uh so it's extraordinary and you sort of can go back and look through that whole period of history and see mugnia's fingerprints all over it including then against u.s forces in iraq which is how Lena comes into the story, and the uh, um, and the, the story, the, the series begins with an audacious attack on American compound in Iraq in 2007, where a bunch of guys dressed like U.S. soldiers drive into a, a compound and kidnap um, American host, uh, soldiers, hoping to trade them for some Iranian diplomats, and that kicks off everything. In fact, was what led to the final unraveling of of his identity. That one incident in Iraq in 2007. Yeah, the, the breadth of his career, really, I mean, it's astonishing. And I mean, it's for those of us who kind of grew up in that time, too, who do remember these things. I mean, these were on the news and featuring very prominently. Uh, and it were kind of became almost part of a, a background noise, as I remember it, of these just constant mm -hmm. attacks. And it's incredible to think about one person being behind so much of it. Um, Avi, let me ask you, I mean, part of the compelling part of this narrative is not just that Imad has this hand in all these brutal attacks, but that he is just, he's, he is a ghost. I mean, he is the father of smoke, I think, is one of the terms that people gave to him. How was he able to outwit the CIA and Mossad for so long and, and go without being captured? Well, I think that if you would talk to Mossad and CIA agents or handlers, officers, 
you would hear more of the same, like he was the best. I mean, yeah, you had Bin Laden, of course, and Bin Laden was in a very twisted way, talented in what he did. But Imad Wurnia was one level up, if not two levels up. He was so sophisticated and smart and clever. He was very careful about his identity. He used nicknames all the time. He switched identities. He traveled to Iran. He traveled to Central America. He traveled to Africa. He met Osama bin Laden in Khartoum, Sudan, using a fake passport. And he was very smart about you know, the way that he managed to maneuver everyone. Even when he got into Beirut, even when he got into his, his own neighborhood, people didn't know who he was because he stayed an enigma, because he managed to keep his identity as a kind of a, as an organizational secret. No one knew who he was, really, till the later days, of course, that he became more and more um, strong, popular, and then a very small group knew about his identity and how does it look like. I think that when you understand that the two agencies needed to collaborate, and they failed when they tried to pull it separately. Over and over, they failed in trying to get to him. But when they managed to collaborate and to go together into this first ever joint assassination operation of the CIA and the Mossad, this is where the success came from, including finding out about the way that he looks, including about reaching his whereabouts, and of course, executing the assassination. Yeah, it really is a tremendous joint operation, and it took you know decades, really, didn't it, to pull it off? Um, and that obsession, really, of the CIA and of you know Mossad to try and find him, it comes through. And Dina, there's one scene in particular from the the first episode where you're interrogating uh, an Iranian official, trying to just extract some information out of him uh, to help put together uh, the puzzle. Um, let's watch that clip right now, actually. What do you know about the team who did this? I was there. It looked very professional. Iran would never do anything like this. So when was the last time you saw Ahmad? Which Ahmad? Ahmad Mghania. Radwan Abu Dakhan. Where did you say you're from? Michigan. Yeah. These attackers were Lebanese, and they were trying to take their hostages over the border into Iran. Now, why would they do that? Either you are a Christian Maronite, and you hate me, or you are a Shia Muslim, and you need to prove yourself to your bosses. My family had to flee Lebanon. Do you want to know why? It's because of people like you. It's just such a great scene of the cat and mouse between the two. It's 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 really great, and it, I think it. How do you empathize with this and her challenge of trying to find this man who she's been, you know, clearly hunting with her colleagues for so long? It goes back to what I was saying about wanting to be, there's a part of her, I think, that just wants to be the best. Obviously, there's a personal, you know, she's Shia, she's Lebanese, she grew up with stories of Lebanon and what happened to it and Hezbollah from her parents. And so there's an, a really deep part of her that has a, a connection to this, but 
beyond that, she is great at her job and she wants to win. And something Greg told me about early on is that there is a sort of ruthlessness to people that have her job, that they're after something and they're gonna do whatever it, it takes to get it. And doing this scene in particular was really fun because I wanted to find the ways in which she could connect to him and charm him um, and make him trust her and make him feel like they had something in common, which was all manipulative. I don't think she's genuinely having those feelings, but she knows she knows what her power is in that situation and she's using it. And I think um, the guy, you know, us, the guy playing Scar is a brilliant actor and it was really just great to have that back and forth with him. Yeah, and it really is. I know in talking to CIA officers and the reporting I do, you have to build rapport with people, even with people who you might find you know, repugnant yeah. or dangerous. Um, now, now, you were born in Saudi Arabia and spent part of your youth, I think, uh, in Beirut. How did those memories and your experience in Lebanon inform how you approached the role? Did, were you able to draw from that uh, in putting your performance together? Oh, yeah. I think it just seeps into your body, the fact that I have a connection to the place. I know what it feels like and smells like. I know what, the, what it's like to walk down the street and experience the people. And so it just was an inherent part of, it's an inherent part of me. And so it just became an inherent part of what I brought to the character, um, something I didn't have to work for. There's a moment in which I'm looking towards where Lebanon would be. And that's a very real moment. I know what it feels like to be there. And I love Beirut. If I could live there, I would. I think it's an incredible place. Yeah, and and the, and, the, and the love for Beirut and the kind of the romanticism of it does is something that comes through in the story really effectively. I think. Um, now, Avi, in terms of the narrative of the story, I mean, it's told from the perspective of, you know, the Iranians, the Lebanese, the CIA, the Mossad, and you're really moving around from all these perspectives. You know, talk a little bit about how you construct that as a storyteller and why you felt it was important to tell it from you know these multiple points of view. You know, there's a kind of a cliche in script writing that says that the better the villain, the better the movie. Um, <laughs> meaning, you know, you need to make your bad guy, the, the terrorist, the one that, is, that has killed hundreds of people, innocent people, you need to make him more interesting than just a kind of a villain, just a kind of a simple bad guy. This is what we did in Fauda, Leo Raz, the, the, the other co-creator of ours, and us, and me, in Fauda. And this is what we tried to pull here also with Greg, trying to show the, the other narrative, trying to show the other side. And one of the things that really struck stroke us is not only the fact that, yes, of course, as every human being, you have kind of a more complicated character than just you know, good and evil. But one of the things that really made us understand that we have a real drama is to understand the, the process that the Mossad and the CIA went through in order to reach their obsession, in order to get to the bad guy. They were willing to do horrifying things, including things that we might call as terrorist attacks. 1985, in Bir el-Abed, southern suburbs of Beirut, there's a car bomb exploding at the entrance to a mosque, a Shiite mosque that is led by Sheikh Fadl Allah. In an attempt that was pulled by the CIA 
and probably some phalangists in order to kill Sheikh Fadil Allah and Imad Bhunia himself. 85 people, most of them were innocent, got killed in this explosion. So this is horrible to think about. That later on, something that we didn't get into the, the show, but 1995, the Mossad pulls out a horrifying operation, killing the brother of Imad Burnia that wasn't really involved in Hezbollah, just in order to get Imad to the funeral and then to kill him over there. And by the way, Imad didn't get to the funeral. So you understand that the price that both sides, Mossad and CIA, are paying in what they do is that actually it's eating their moral from the inside. You lose your own morality when you go on a war against the terrorists like Imad Mughdia. Yeah. Yeah. And then <clears throat> for, for, when, Sorry. For, for the for the for Dina's character and her counterpart in Mossad, they're grappling with that history themselves. And how do we carry out this sort of joint assassination without succumbing to these horrible acts that, that their agencies committed in the, in the past. And, and that's kind of dropped with the driving force for the back end of the series. But the history is alive in, in them and the institutions they're within. Right, yeah, and there's the even that, yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, Dina, please go ahead. No, I was just, just reiterating what Greg, Greg said, is that that's something we talked about a lot. You know, you care, when you're working for the CIA or the Mossad, you're carrying the, the mistakes that have been made a lot, you know, it's part of your history. It's the consequence of what um, they all come into this moment in time with. And so I think they're, you know, Teddy and Lena are trying to do better, but I think their morality gets in question too. I don't think you get to kill someone without your soul getting destroyed in some way, no matter what. Yeah, and there, I and think that's one of the or the, the car bomb you mentioned, Avi. One of the CIA officers in fact says to his boss, "If we do this, we're going to pay a price for it." He, so he's warning them, isn't he? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's right. You know that towards the end, that really happened in reality, according to the the research that we we did. You know that right before they executed the assassination, there was a kind of a gathering in the headquarters where they pulled the operation. And there was a demand from the people in charge on both sides, from the, all the people that were around them. After we execute the assassination, no one's going to clap his hands, no one is going to cheer up or anything like that. This is a man and we're going to take people's life. And this is what happened in reality. People didn't clap their hands or cheer up after the assassination. Greg, talk a little bit about the research for this show. I mean, when, when the show opens, it point, you point out that this is you know, a story based on deeply, it's a fictional version of deeply researched, I think is the word you use, uh, historical events. So how did you all go about piecing this together and, and, and choosing when to insert you know, fictional characters and then real life characters? How, how did you go about that? It was, a, it was a long and very uh, intellectually stimulating process. Um, Avi and I and our team spent at least six months and longer um, researching this by talking to people directly. There's really not a book or a series of articles we could, we could just rely on. We did our own research. And uh, I found that by talking to people who may have been involved and saying, look, we, it was clear they couldn't go on the record because they, just, they couldn't say anything of substance on the record. But what I said is like, look, we're gonna, we're gonna um, fictionalize a lot of this, but we want it to be all, as authentic as possible. So tell me what you think happened or what might've happened. And then people like opened up and then we got all this interesting 
are really amazing details, a lot of which have found their way in the scripts, and different perspectives. Like the CIA would say, we built the bomb and we constructed it. And the Mossad were like, no, we built the bomb. So we kind of had to choose our own our own yeah. path through it, yeah. choose our own truth. It was, and it was great. I mean, Showtime gave us the time to do this and to really sort of dig in deep. And then constructing it into a narrative was, you know, was, was challenging because um, um, there was so much information. But that's part of the fun as well, and 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 it was yeah, it was an extremely um, yeah, intellectually sort of satisfying process. Yeah, and part of the yeah. the fun was to understand that you know what Greg and uh, just mentioned that you know Mossad is saying no, we did it. The CIA is saying no, we did it, and it's a kind of a competition. But even when they pulled this thing together, they had some arguments. They had some you know disagreements, including one of the 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 picks of the the show, which is. The argument about whether to kill Qasem Soleimani, the head of Al-Quds force in the Revolutionary Guard, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, yes or no, because he was walking together with Ahmad Bouhdiya. And then you come to the question of should we execute the assassination, then kill Qasem Soleimani or not? The Israelis were in favor, the Americans were completely against, and at the end of the day, the, Ameri the Israelis followed the Americans and they did not execute the assassination of both. Yeah, it was really satisfying to get in to try to unpack that intelligence relationship, which is very complicated, and uh, has if it goes all the way back to the to the to the 80s in Beirut, and to kind of get inside that was uh, uh, dramatically was was you know fun. I think very authentic and will be eye opening to people. And Greg, did you find that people were <clears throat> perhaps maybe not many on the record, but were willing from the CIA Mossad to talk about this, and how much do they officially acknowledge? publicly today about the role that their services played in ultimately killing Bognia? Uh, officially, uh, at least as far as the CIA, nothing. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually came to the story um, a decade ago by doing a, when I was doing a project on Hunter uh, bin Laden for HBO, and a number of senior people then were telling me that their true obsession was Bognia and Hezbollah, which dated back to their time in Beirut in the mid-'80s. So, I mean, it goes, I found people willing to talk about it off the record um, and uh, go into, because it, the, the, the wounds, the emotional scars run very, very deep um, to the highest levels. What was interesting is a lot of the people who were young officers uh, on the ground in the Middle East, often in Beirut in the mid 80s, after 9-11 are in, in senior management positions and are making decisions at that time informed by the steering sort of uh, emotional um, turmoil that they went through back as in, early in their career. So they wanted to talk officially. We, you know, I sort of knocked on the front door of the agency. It's like, what can you tell us? And the word came back, nothing. <laughs> so then we did our own. <laughs> I, I can sympathize with that experience covering yeah. the CIA. <laughs> yeah. but you, uh, you unearthed a remarkable amount of detail, though. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. Um, Dina, I'll, take, like, I'll put our last question to you. Um, what do you want people to take away from this series? I mean, so much of it is about history, but it's such a deeply emotional and in many ways, actually quite empathetic story about Imad Mugnia, which is really challenging, I think. Um, so what do you want people to walk away from with this story? I mean, that's what's, that was so beautiful about the scripts to begin with, was that it's a really character-based, character-driven story. And I think you get to spend time with everyone 
in a way that shows their humanity and also shows their flaws. And that's always going to be the best story that's told when you finish watching something and you feel empathy towards the person that you might have thought was just a monster. And you have complicated feelings towards the people that you thought were just the hero. And um, you leave, I think, with a more expansive view of people and who they become because of their circumstances and their choices. And I hope it reflects back onto, you know, the viewers themselves, which we all have parts of ourselves that are because of generational trauma, because of what we went through in our adolescent or it's just, we're complicated, we're contradictory, we're, um, no one's simplistic. And I think this show does a really good job in giving you that feeling by the end of it. And I would think as an actor too, those are really some of the most satisfying kinds of roles to play too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, every role has that in it. And then it takes good writers like Greg, Abby and Joelle to really put it on the page and bring it to life. And then I just have to, you know, make sense of it all on the day. <laughs> well, you, you all did a great job of that, uh, truly, and have been a very complex and emotional story. So that's um, unfortunately all the time we have to talk about it. Uh, the series drops on May 19th, Ghosts of Beirut. Uh, thank you to Avi Saharoff and Greg Barker, the co-creators, and Dina Shihabi, uh, the actor in the role of Lena. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about it today. It was a really great conversation. Thank you. Thank so you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.